Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. The temptation for Christians is to go it alone, not just without other Christians, but really without Christ. We thank him for the forgiveness and the new start in life that he's given us, and then we say, well, we'll take it from here. And so we leave the very place where salvation is partaken of in deep gulps of refreshing, everlasting life. We leave the place where the well of salvation gives us the water of life so that we can live a full life. And when we finally realize what we've done and that we should go back to that place, we find that the enemy has blocked us from getting all the life out of that well that we first did when first we gave ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we have rubble to remove from the well. Here is the rubble, an unbelief in a living, active, present God. God becomes an abstraction to us, just an idea, something to debate about. Also, an unbelief that this God has spoken clearly to us in His Word. And again, because of this, we impose upon the Word our own subjective ideas. We impose upon it our own desires, ethics that we want to receive. We read it like a self-help manual or a textbook for better living. But there, God is to speak to us, to direct us into Himself. When we make the Bible a self-help book, we lose the great doctrines of the faith and we lose the wonderful promises of a regenerate, growing life. And then, a thousand other little things fall into the well to plug it up so that we cannot get our way to its refreshing waters. He puts new life in us. The Lord Jesus spoke about this in John chapter 3, when he said, you must be born again. Paul refers to it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. It's regeneration. It's a transformation. It's a change. This is, to me, the favorite theme of the Christian life. It's what explains how God can take people who have grown up in certain environments been plagued by certain genetic weaknesses, been orchestrated by the various cultural information that's been put in their lives to, in a sense, program them for failure, and found that there was nothing in themselves that could change the ultimate pattern of their life, and all of a sudden, a change comes, and there's something that the world cannot explain. There's something that doesn't equate or add up from the experiences in their life. Something happened. They were born again and they were regenerated and they were set free and they were put into a place where God was living out His own life and His own impulses and power through their life. Well, yes, there are some individuals who are better at life than other people. They seem to have the ability to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and they seem to have the ability just to figure it out and figure out how to work this life thing so they just do, they get better grades than some of us. I was not that good a student no matter how I tried. But oh, the fact is that these individuals as well need something more than just the best they have to offer. They need the life that only Christ can give them, totally and utterly transforming them. 
That's how regeneration works. Now, we said that this is a truth that's been neglected in the church today. And the reason we mentioned that it was neglected to a large extent is because if it's true, it will show up in the way we live. We should actually be different than the people around us. We should be people who are not plagued by the same, you might say, constant failures. We should be individuals who are succeeding in our relationships. We should be people who are maintaining a purity from the insults that this world brings upon us. We should be people who increasingly, maybe not all at once, but increasingly are growing in Christ's likeness. We're winning the day over the course of the day. So the reason why this truth is neglected is because people have wandered away from that well and they've created a religious, even a Christian religion that's not based upon living around that well. And as a result, there's no power in just moralisms and ethics and trying harder. And they're not any better. And so why preach the doctrine of regeneration? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work, they say. Well, it doesn't work because they're not regenerate. They don't have that life. But when you have that new life of regeneration, what kicks in is this other doctrine we talked about, which is the doctrine of sanctification. That truth of the ongoing growth and development of that new creature in Christ Jesus. Sanctification is nothing more than the growth and development and ongoing expression and experience of the regenerate life of Christ rising in a true Christian through the power of His Holy Spirit. Our sanctification shows up in our lives at the point at which the Lord Jesus leads us to engage the world and engage temptations and engage trials by His grace and by His power in us so that we can live in moral victory. And we grow. We grow at each point in which we claim that victory for ourselves. Regeneration happens in a moment, like a baby born at a moment. Sanctification is carrying out the effects of that new birth over a lifetime of growth and development until the day that we see the Lord Jesus and then we'll be transformed, the Bible says, into His image because we'll see Him as He is. So all these doctrines that I've just mentioned, justification, regeneration, sanctification in a sense, are simply ways of describing how the Lord Jesus Christ, the living Lord, impacts the life of a believing person, the person who puts their faith in Him. In justification, Christ impacts our life by coming to us with His forgiveness and covering us in His righteousness. In regeneration, Christ impacts our life by putting in us His life, His power, so that He lives His life out from us. In sanctification, this life of Christ in us continues to express itself so that we become more and more like Him from day to day. And He grows us up in His power. So if you've given your life to Christ, and you go and you look at your life, and you say, okay, where are the weaknesses in my life? I mean, the real things that... You could go and interview my family, and they would say, you know, this is where Joel just doesn't measure up, hasn't. He's consistently been not a good performer in these areas. I'm not going to tell you what they are. You'll have to talk to them. <laughs> if this doctrine is true, what should happen, what we long to happen is on the tombstone, when God calls me home, somebody who didn't talk to my family members would write, Joel was the most. Joel excelled in the very thing that I was weak in. Because Christ was in me, doing me what I couldn't do for myself. That's the doctrine of sanctification. The way I learned it as a young man, hearing it from my father's lips many times, was there's only one person who's ever lived the Christian life. 
And that person is Jesus Christ. And he wants to live that life through you. Well, we talked about how this life somehow gets lost to us because the well of our salvation gets filled up with rubble. We lose sight in the God who's all-powerful. We replace the authority He has over His Word with our own renditions and interjecting our own needs. And we replace the doctrines, these wonderful doctrines, with ethics and moralisms and try harder and just be a good person. And the rubble that gets in the well are these dispossessed doctrines that we neglect and we're left with nothing but a, a rule of just be as good a person as you can be and accept that that's all that you have to offer and... Find a good accountability group or whatever it is, you see. That's all you have. And ultimately, there's no power in this, and life becomes dry. And here's the next thing that goes in this well. We've been talking about the stuff in the well. Here's the next thing. When you start making all these other compromises, when you let go of your faith in God, and when you begin to impose yourself or the Word of God so it just becomes a manual for moral living or for finding some good advice or a place where you find some note of inspiration, and when then you begin to neglect these wonderful doctrines where life springs to you because they're a reflection of things that are true that Christ would do in you and for you, then what happens is a thousand other things get in the well. That's the last thing. You can't name them all. A thousand other things begin to fill in all the nooks and crannies of that rubble in the well. A thousand attitudes and a thousand thoughts and a thousand plans made without God guiding and directing your plans and a, a thousand different selfish aims and a thousand different kinds of sins of all kinds of savors and flavors get into the well and fill it up. C.S. Lewis in his book, Screwtape Letters, has Screwtape, this kind of like master demon who's giving advice to a little minor demon on how to lead people astray. He gives him advice on how to clutter men's life up with sins so that he's pushed away from God, and this is what Screwtape says. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge man away from the light and out into the nothing. In essence, he basically says, murder is no better than a few white lies. Let them add up. They'll drive men away from God. And so you see, just a few thoughts accumulating themselves, just a few moments of uh, unguarded, an unguarded life, just a few actions, just a little dallying with this thing, just a dip of your toe into that thing, and over a period of time, all these things begin to clutter and fill up the way that we would have to get back to the spring of life that comes from the Lord Jesus Himself. And along with these thousand little things, a wrong spirit gets shaped in our lives. Now, we don't have time this morning to describe the thousand little things. I can't even put my finger on all of them. I can, though, this morning, put my finger on at least some of the attitudes that are attendant with these thousand little things. Some of the spirit that gets in an individual when their life begins to be cluttered up so that the well is filled with this rubble. Now listen, I am speaking to the individual who claims that they're a follower of Jesus Christ who's claimed that I believed in the Lord Jesus as the one who's died in the cross of my sins, and I've accepted Him as my Savior, and I claim to have received the new life that He gives. 
I'm speaking to that individual who makes these declarations, but knows that their life is barren of the fruit to a large extent that he wanted to produce in their life, and that life is dry and hollow and not a testament, not really a testament if you look at these things that we preach of what we preach and what God declares to be true in His Word. Well, let's talk about these attitudes then, this spirit, and you again, test yourself to see if this may be evident in your own life. I trust the Holy Spirit will be gracious to you and gentle as He reveals this to you, maybe more gentle than I will be in communicating it to you, right? Here's one of the spirits. It's the spirit of pride. Pride of life and position. Uh, you know, we think that Facebook is a terrible thing because now these young kids, have, we're plagued with selfies all the time. Kids are always taking pictures of themselves. Now they're Instagramming pictures and Twittering pictures of themselves and Facebooking. Ben, look how selfish and sinful people are today because of Facebook. Now Facebook just revealed the problem. <laughs> it just gave a venue for a sin that's been around for the ages. We just see it. We see it so predominantly. But some kind of satisfaction in ourselves that is exultant and proud, proud of the way we dress, proud of the way we think, proud of the way we appear. Our prejudices are expressions of pride as well. Proud that we have an idea and approach to life that other people don't have. Proud that we've come to this understanding that they haven't come to. Proud that we have this kind of family upbringing that they didn't have. Pride. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.